This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. The scripture reading is from Romans chapter 6, starting with verse 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Brad. I'm the uh, uh, transitional lead pastor uh, here, and I woke up uh, this morning to snow on the ground and I, I just want you to know that I was secretly happy about that. So I don't know what that means about me. This past week, I uh, was invited to go down to the Kenai Peninsula to consult with one of our uh, sister congregations down in Soldatna, uh, Kenai area. And um, when the pastor called me up and asked if I'd come down and do some board, some board training with them, I said, sure. And then he said, you know, how much will it cost for, for us to have you down? And I said... Nothing as long as you take me fishing on the Kenai. So this past Monday I went fishing and um, I haven't caught anything yet here in Alaska. I just want you to be aware of that. So I, I, I've eaten a lot, but I haven't caught any. So we were out all day Monday sitting there, you know, he had these nifty little pole racks that you push into the ground so we could watch our poles kind of sway. And we're, we're sitting there talking and, and it was a great time. Now I realize why people like to fish, because you just do a lot of sitting, uh, apparently. Anyway, uh, he says, look, look, I think you got a fish on. And I looked at my pole, and it was just just a slight little bob, and I'm going, oh, come on, you know. 
if it's a monster fish, it's not going to be a little bobby. He goes, yeah, but you better check it. So I, I go and I, I reel in my, my, my uh, uh, what do you call the thing at the end? My hook. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you can tell I'm a real fisherman. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, I did catch a fish. It was a four-inch trout that that was nibbling on the row at the end of my hook and somehow this this big old hook to catch silvers you know grabbed him on the side of the uh, gill there and so uh, I, I took a picture with it and my friend who's been in Alaska longer than I he goes no look it there's a trick to making this fish look bigger so he goes let me hold the fish and he held it right in front of the camera and I was kind of in the background and it looked it, the fish looks like this big <laughs> So I, I posted it, and my and my wife uh, saw this picture, and she goes, "Wow, that was how big was that fish?" And I I, I told her it was only four inches long. <laughs> All right, I, I'm going to get another shot this week, maybe to catch the fish of a lifetime. So we'll, we'll see. Hey, we're in a series of sermons right now. It's four four weeks long, and you know this already. It's around four important words. The words are up on the wall, uh, and so you look at them every time you come in here, or you have at least in the last few weeks. The first word we looked at a couple weeks ago is the word explore, the word connect last week, and this week we've moved over to this side, and the word that we're going to be looking at uh, today is the word transform. And um, when we explore, you heard me say this a couple weeks ago, when we explore, we give God freedom and permission to speak into our lives. When we explore, when we make ourselves uh, available to explore the inner uh, contours of our faith, of our spiritual life, whatever that might look like, we're actually giving God permission to do His work in our lives. Um, connect. When, when we connect, we recognize that, that our unique skill set, our unique gifts... Uh, that have been given to us by God are not just for us to use for our own benefit, but they're meant for the whole body. And today, transform. Transform. Transform is, is, uh, one form of the word transformation. And transformation is the process whereby a person or a thing is changed from something to something else. I remember when my kids were small, we, uh, they had these, these little, uh, they looked like matchbox cars. They were a little bit larger than matchbox cars, but they were called transformers. And I, I don't know if uh, kids still play, do they? Are transformers still out there? And I didn't realize this at first. I just thought it was another version of the Matchbox or the Hot Wheel car. But these little cars, you could twist them and change them, and they became these robots. And it, you know, it was all linked to some cartoon series, you know, which is the brilliance of uh, of uh, PR. But nevertheless, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about uh, God. Being able, being capable of transforming us. And, and the key, the key to spiritual transformation is, uh, to see it as the work of God in us rather than, hear me, rather than 
another list of, of responsibilities that we must meet or check off in order to, in, in order to experience transformation. You see what I'm saying? God is at work and wants to be at work transforming our lives. And, and, and it's not something that we can achieve. It's God at work in us. Transformation is, is, is always an expectation in, in a spiritual context. Like, like God is not interested in, in doing a work in us that's not transforming. God doesn't operate that way. And, and, and we are talking here about really the fundamental character of our faith. So, so when we say here at Community Covenant Church that, that we uh, hold this value, that people's lives can be transformed, we're, we're talking about this. We're talking about the fact that we hold this value, that God is at work in us right now trying to do this work of transformation. It implies transformation, change. It implies growth. It, imp- it implies an increasing awareness of what God is doing both in the world in which we live, but also what God is doing in us. I, I love this, this uh, phrase that I was reminded of it again this past week in this uh, small group study that uh, Roxy and I are involved in. And it's this. God is up to something. You see, if you believe that God is up to something, then you can believe that God is at work in this transformational way in your life. So um, we've spent three weeks on these words, and I just want to uh, stop for a moment and, and say something about words in general. Why f- do words matter? Um, in, in the English language, I, didn't, I don't know if you knew this. I didn't know this until this week that there are over 20 million words. It's a lot of words. Uh, people who speak English have, apparently have a lot to say. Um, the average educated person, guess how many words we know? We know about 20,000 words. Out of the 20 million, we know, any, on any given you know, day, we know about 20,000 words. And guess how many words we use in a week? We use about 2,000 words in a week. So 20 million, 20,000, and, and we use 2,000 words a week. Um, if you're an, a pre-adolescent boy, you can cut that probably by two-thirds because uh, in my experience, they just like use guttural language. Uh, anyway, anyway. Um, Words matter. Words matter because, because they're the medium by which we communicate with a large number of people on the earth, right? Um, and, and everybody who's, uh, ever had kids realize that it's a whole lot easier to parent your child once they begin to develop a vocabulary and can actually tell you what they're feeling, right? Before that, it's mostly grunts and points and crying and, and tantrums. But words are significant in how we communicate with one another. Words matter because they animate us. I mean, look at my job. If I just stood up here and did all the actions without talking, I would just look like an idiot. I mean, I may look like an idiot anyway, but uh, the, the words are, are what matter, right? The, the words that we use create the context for what we know and how, 
how we know and how we are known. Words matter because they express our most deeply held desires and our, our deepest joys and our, and our, and our most difficult hurts. You see, words, even though we're looking at one word per Sunday, they, they frame our understanding of reality. I remember when I understood this for the very first time. I, I, um, Roxy was away for a weekend on a women's event or something, and I had, uh, and, and, and my daughter was gone too. So whenever it happened that the stars lined up in our family where the, the girls were gone, the boys had what we called Boys Town. Okay? And I know there's a place somewhere in the Midwest called Boys Town, but it's not that. It was just men town. And we had four rules in Boys Town. When the girls were away, we had four rules. The first rule was that you could leave your dirty dishes in the sink and did not have to put them in the dishwasher. So by the end of the weekend, the sink was just piled high. The second rule was you could leave the toilet seat up. The third rule was um, you could throw projectiles inside the house. We, I tried to make them Nerf kind of projectiles. And then the fourth rule of Boys Town, whenever the girls went away, was you got to have fun. So it's simple rules. And we did this. I, I would make these t-shirts and, and we would theme it and it would be Boys Town and we'd all wear the same color shirts and we would have, uh, I'd buy each of us a two liter bottle of soda of, of our liking and we would drink that at any time of the day. I mean, there was no rules. Now you're, you're probably thinking, man, your kids are, they're, they're gonna be forever, you know, um, scarred because of that experience. I, I don't know. They might be. Anyway, um, so we're eating popcorn and we got we, we got uh, licorice and we got candy and we're watching like the, the entire weekend we're watching boys movies and I don't remember we did this many many years so I don't remember what movie. At any rate, one of my my youngest son he was probably I don't know three maybe four years old. Uh, and after after I uh, we'd had all this popcorn and candy and stuff, I looked at him, and it must have been my, maybe ten o'clock in the morning. And uh, he 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 was green. I mean, he was literally his his face was kind of greenish. And I go, Lars, are you going to vomit? And he looks at me and he goes. And uh, as I just turned around, guess what he did? All over the floor. And, and, I, and I, said, I said, Lars, what are you doing? I just asked you if you're going to vomit. And he says to me, he says, Dad, I don't, I don't know what vomit means. <laughs> you see, words matter. Words frame our reality, right? Words frame our reality. So why am I telling you this? Because for the past couple of weeks, I, I've been spending a significant amount of time focusing on, on mere words, words that shape who we are as a church. They shape us. And these four words matter because they, they express in some way why we do what we do. So, you know, when we talk about being a church that's not afraid to allow people to explore the contours of their faith and safety without feeling judged or depreciated, we actually mean that. And I, I had a, a, a wonderful a conversation with somebody this last week who said to me, I was so glad to hear you say that. Because I, I have been in churches and I've been in communities where that was not a value. 
When we suggest that the only way to grow deeper with God is when we go deeper with others, we're not being trite or dismissive. We're we're acknowledging that God has created us to be in this community, and it is the community that actually calls us to live our faith convictions in in new ways and deeper levels. So as we look at this passage this morning from Romans chapter 6, the word that I want you to keep in the back of your mind, obviously, is the word transform, transformation. Listen to what Paul is saying to us. Listen for, for the nuances of, of meaning that he is intending uh, for us to hear. Listen for that deeper meaning, even, that speaks to us from the pages of Scripture directly to our spirits. Let's, let's take a look, then, at, at Romans chapter 6. Now, the, the first thing I want you to know about the kind of transformation that Paul's talking about and the t- transformation that we, we want to hold uh, dearly in this church is the kind of transformation that begins on the inside and moves outward rather than on the outside moving inward. In fact, I'm not even sure if outside moving inward transformation actually exists, at least in, in this kind of context. Um, it's, it's very um, difficult for me to, to speak about this section of Scripture in Romans chapter 6 uh, because it really is in the middle of a very nuanced argument that Paul is making, and he begins it in Romans chapter 5, and he finishes it in Romans chapter 8. So if you really want to understand the nature of what Paul is trying to say about the transforming power of God to, uh, to offer us new life, you almost have to do it in the context of this larger section. But, but I, in my brilliance, extracted this section right out of the middle, and we're going to do our best uh, to to deal with it. In, in my Bible, the chapter heading in my Bible for this section that we were read a moment ago is this, dead to sin, alive in Christ. And I, I think this is really an adequate summary of what this passage is about. And if you recall, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about sin and death and baptism and new life and Christ and resurrection. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. Transformation, you see, can mean a a number of things. But at the very least, transformation for Paul in this section means that we will change. One way or the other. We will emerge like a butterfly out of a chrysalis. We will become more attentive to the work of God in the world and in our lives than we will, than we have been up until now if we allow this transformation process to continue in our lives. You see, this, this transforming quality for Paul begins with the, with the, the character, the notion of sin. And he asks at the very beginning of this chapter, after kind of doing a, a full chapter of riffing on the character of sin in chapter 5 and, 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 and what it does, how it destroys, he, he asks this question, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that, so that God's grace may increase? There's uh, some places uh, in this section where... Um, Paul answers his own question. He doesn't do it here, but he answers his own question by saying, no, 
Absolutely not. We, you know, we don't have to keep sinning anymore. Uh, even though the more we sin, the more, the more evident and, and the more significant the grace of God is. You see, for, for Paul in this passage, the only way that we can fully understand the new life that he's trying to communicate in words that God is offering us when he transforms us, when he transforms us from the inside out is, is by first understanding what he calls us away from, and that is a life of sin and death. And, and should we keep on sinning so that God's grace can be more evident in our lives? Well, no. I don't think we have to try. We, we, we will anyway. And then Paul does an interesting thing here. He directs our attention to our baptism. You notice this? He moves from, from this question and he goes directly into baptism and the death and resurrection of Jesus. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The stain that you can't get out. It's there. The stain of sin. It's there. Yesterday, um, Roxy was away at a, a women's event. And occasionally, I, uh, I don't know what comes over me, but I, I got kind of this cleaning bug, and I, so I, I cleaned our bathroom. And um, uh, we're on a well, so our... I don't want to be more personal than I need to, but our, our fixtures in our, in our bathroom have some staining. And so I'm there thinking, ah, I, I can just muscle the stain out. Well, I was there for an hour, and it didn't go away. And that's, in effect, what Paul's saying about the stain of sin. He's saying the stain of sin is there. It's evident. It, it's connected to death. It's connected to our disobedience. It's connected to our propensity to, to let people down and to fail, uh, to live up to the expectations that, that God has for us. But it's also connected to the, to, the, to the identification for Paul that we have with Jesus' death and resurrection. And this is a very subtle move that Paul's making. But in the very act of our baptism, we are identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus, Paul says. And just as Jesus was raised from the dead to life, so too we in our act of identification and baptism, we die and we rise. Now think about the act of baptism for a moment. Uh, when, we, when we dunk people, when we immerse people, what are we symbolizing? We're putting them under the water and bringing them out. That's death and resurrection, right? That's the link that Paul wants to make to the transforming power of God. Now, what I'm not saying is, is that by being baptized, um, we can eradicate sin. That's not what I'm saying. Nor is Paul. But think about this. Paul begins by asking, should we keep on sinning so that God's grace can be more evident? No. But then he draws this direct connection between the death and resurrection of Jesus and our own death and new life in Christ. The transforming power of God, Paul says who raised Jesus from the dead, is the same transforming power that God offers those who have been united with Christ in Christ's baptism. That's the same power that enables us, you and I, in our sinful bodies, to live into this resurrection life. From dead to sin, 
to alive in Christ. That's what we mean when we talk about transformation. Now I know when Paul says this, this the parallel between death and resurrection of Jesus and death associated with sin and new life that God has made available, he's talking at the core. He's talking about the core of, of the Christian faith. He's talking about what's at the very heart of this transformation process that's not predicated on anything that we do or anything that we say or how many times we go to church. This is the work of God in us. Did you hear what I just said? The heart of transformation has nothing to do with us. It's all about God in us. Yeah, but, uh, Pastor, I'm a good person. I, I try really hard to be nice to people who are hard to like. Doesn't matter. You know, Pastor, I... I grew up in the South, and I went to Sunday school, and I got a Sunday school pin for all those times I I went to Sunday school. Doesn't matter. The transforming work of God is about God at work in us. It's not about us or anything that we can do. And then at verse 11, Paul says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Don't let sin reign. Don't let sin have control. Don't let sin master you in your body. Instead, offer yourself to God. And you, you hear this language in other places in the New Testament. Offer yourself to God as those who have already been brought from death to life. You see what, and then the, the image that Paul uses in this text, and I told you it was nuanced, I'm sorry, is the image of being a slave. And we are going to be a slave to something. There's no doubt about that, and Paul knows that. So you can either be a slave to sin and death, or you can be a slave to new life, to resurrection life. You've got to choose who you're going to be a slave to. And, and I think that when we understand our sin in the context of that kind of choice, that it, 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 it opens up some, some curtains for me, at least, so that I don't have to keep focusing on my sin. I don't have to keep focusing on my failure and all of a sudden go into this kind of spiral of guilt and, and sadness about, about how far I am from achieving what, I, what God wants of me. But I can instead focus my attention on what God is already at work doing in my life. It's not about us, but it's about God. And, and, and here's the problem. Most of us spend so much time trying to polish the outside of the container to make it look good so that nobody knows how dirty it is on the inside. The, the transforming power of God to change us from the inside out. That's what this is about. And, and, and it's a mystery. Okay? It's a mystery. It, it can't be quantified into some neat process where we take, we take people and we put them in this machine in one end and they come in walking out on the other side all looking alike. That's not how this transformation process works. It's a mystery, but God understands the mystery so that we don't have to. And the transforming work of God is not about striving. It's not about guilt manipulation. The transforming work of God is about following 
Jesus. It's about allowing the death and resurrection of Jesus to frame our understanding of reality. Just like my son Lars had no idea that what he felt meant that he was going to project the inside of his stomach all over the floor because he didn't know the meaning of the word. I want for you to understand that transformation is about the work of God on the inside. Now I want you to, to because you, you see me stand up here all the time and you think, okay, he's a pastor, he gets paid to do this. I want for you to see a real life story of transformation where God has indeed worked in the life of a person. Uh, and so we're going to just take a second and watch a short video. I remember having a fight in a bathtub one night. Not a fight, but an argument with God. Uh, I, I was angry. You know, why are you doing this? You know, why am I an alcoholic? Why, why did I become a drug addict? Why did I have to go through all this stuff? You made me. You could have made me differently, and I was angry. I was, I was upset. I stopped fighting. People say a lot, um, well, just give it to God. Well, how do you do that? With me, it was to the point to where I was just done fighting. I, I just, I just said, you know, I just asked the Lord, you need to help me with this. I'm just, I'm tired of fighting. I got brought to my knees. I was hopeless. And what I did was I asked for help. Um, I got involved uh, with the community covenant and the things going on here. Uh, I asked for the healing prayer. I got a counselor. I started counseling on Monday nights. I attend uh, two different 12-step programs in order to help me with my addictions. Um, I pray. I pray a lot. And when I come to the church, uh, I felt comfortable. It was different than a lot of the churches that I've been to because people were pretty much real around here. There's not a lot of church-based thing going on. And there were several people that knew I knew I was hurting and they asked what they could do to help. And instead of saying, I'm okay, don't worry about it, I said, here's what's going on. I need help. Today, my relationship with Jesus is it's real. Um, I talk to him like he's a friend talk to him all the time, all day long. I've learned how to connect what I've read in the Bible, what I believe to be true in the Bible. I knew it up here. It never connected with my heart. And today I, I have that connection and I realize that, um, that God uh, is not up in heaven with a big stick ready to thump me every time I do something wrong, but that he loves me more than I can ever possibly imagine. People at work have seen the difference in me. They've not said that, but I know they have because they they treat me differently now. I've made amends to several of those people that I have uh, verbally abused at work and pushed around. And um, I have a genuine concern for other people now. I want to help somebody. 
I want to help somebody that is maybe in the same hole I was in. With the drugs and alcohol for many years, and I thought there was no way that I would ever see more than a few months completely drug and alcohol free. And I am now. My mind's clear. I can think clearly. I can look somebody eye and tell them something and be honest about it or and, and feel good about it. My hope is in you, Lord, all the day long. Just so you know, there, um, that, that gentleman, his name is Rick, and he actually is part of this congregation. Sorry about the sound and I, I thought there was going to be video but I might have been wrong but I, I hope you ca- caught a little bit of that compelling story of how g- God has has been at work transforming his life from some very real addictions um, that he struggled with and you know whenever I hear stories like that uh, especially about the kind of the the, the eternal transformation that, that, that goes on in the lives of people it gives me goosebumps it reminds me of why I, I do what I do. Um, it points out to me that in, in the busyness of a, of a church like this, you know, you gotta go to meetings and you gotta make sure that you're, you're meeting budget and all this sort of stuff. You have to uh, administrate programs and, and all sorts of stuff. But in the end, if there's no transformation going on, there's no point. And that's what Paul's trying to suggest. So what should we do, you and I, with this word transform? What should we do with it? Should we, should we put it back on the shelf where we, we got it from? So that we can just look at it from time to time when we're feeling a little blue about our sinful nature? Or should we finally give in to allow the work of God to, to be about the transformation process in our lives? Should we, should we finally give up trying to fix ourselves? Should, should we give over our intellects for those of you who are, who are inclined that way? And, and I know that's hard. Should, should, we, should we give up our emotions and our, our bodies to the Spirit of God who is already at work in us doing a work of transformation? There will be some of you here today, as you hear me say this, that you can feel your, your palms start to sweat because you have control of your life. Thank you very much, preacher. You're meddling now. And the last thing that you want to do is release it into the hands of anybody, much less God. There will be some of you here today who have been searching for this transformational experience your whole life. But you thought that the only way to get this kind of transformation was through checking a list off or, or pointing fingers at, at people who are worse than you at whatever it is or, or, or building fences to make sure that, that the right people get in and the wrong people stay out. Because that's what you learned from your parents. You learned it from your childhood church or, or you made it up some, someplace. There will be some here today who will be hearing my description of transformation for the very first time in your life. And it will, it will hit you like a fresh wind on your face. And you will say, you mean 
to tell me, Pastor Brad, that, that God is already at work transforming this old, crusty creature into something beautiful? Yes. Yes. Transform. It's an important word for us here at Community Covenant Church. We value it because it speaks to the, to the heart of what we all seek, what we all wish for. It speaks to the heart of a God who's not satisfied that we should be trapped in our sin and, and spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out how to remove the stain. Rather, it speaks to a God who, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, provides a way for us to live beyond the constraints of our human nature into a character and into a quality of life that God has intended for us all along. There's no guilt here, folks. There's no guilt. Who wouldn't want this? This transformed life. Really, who among us wouldn't want that? Transform. It's a good word. It's about God. It's not about us. It's about new life and hope in the midst of the stresses and the strains that life presents it to us. It's about allowing God to change us from the inside out. It's about time. Don't you think? Let's pray. Do your work among us, God. Whether we have been striving our whole lives to, to get the stain out, to no avail, or whether we've been looking for this way of life and have never had the language to fully understand what it, what it looked like until today. Whichever the case may be, God, do your work in us. Transform us from the inside out. In the name of Jesus, amen.